Uh, so to be perfectly honest, I think my goal when we started Renaissance was that I wanted to like start a spiritual community in Harlem. And make no mistake about it, that's a, that's a good goal. But I think my sights were, were way too low because I was separating our spiritual lives as if your spiritual life can be separated from your physical life, from your emotional life, from your uh, intellectual life, and um, from your social, your social life. And over the past years, I've grown a lot to realize that all of our lives, the goal of all of our lives is to be integrated so that you and I were made in God's image and we are whole people. And there is no like, fine line that separates us physically, socially, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually, but that our lives are meant to be integrated and lived together. So over the past couple of years, I feel like I've grown in my goals for, for me as a person that I want to be integrated. I don't just want to have a good spiritual life. I want all of our lives to be lived in, with integrity and together because it truly is impossible to separate uh, your spiritual life from what's going on in your, in your other spheres of, of your life. I think about things like confession. You know, over the past number of years, we've done a lot of work with our emotional health at Renaissance and realizing that there are spiritual commands that the reason that you don't do them is not because of some demonic spiritual attack. It's just that oftentimes we're too emotionally immature to do what scripture calls us to do. So if we want to be people who follow Jesus with all of our lives, we need to grow not just spiritually with the things that we learn and experience, but rather also emotionally. Confession is one of those things. Um, I think about so many times people, the reason that they don't, they're not able to confess their sin is it's shame. It's this paralyzing grip of shame that prevents them from actually sharing their lives. And what would free them to, to do what scripture calls them to do is not just reading more scripture, but it's actually being able to develop the emotional maturity to navigate, uh, to navigate shame well. So the work of Jesus in your life, if you will allow it, will not be limited to just spiritual. It will be an invasion of grace into your entire life, into your physical life, your social world, your emotional life, your intellectual life, and then also certainly your spiritual. And that my goal is that we would grow um, integrated. You know, your physical life really impacts your spiritual journey. It impacts everything ab about you. So years ago, um, if y'all wanted to know what a lit Friday night was like, you would go to Blockbuster. The Blockbuster around my way, man, like Friday night at Blockbuster was lit. I would make my parents drop me off like three blocks down the block. I didn't want anybody to see me. Um, and this was like literally the highlight of, of my week. And my brother knows a story I'm about to tell. Uh, we, um, so my brother tore his ACL in college and um, uh, there was, you know, he got, he got a surgery and he was at home recovering. And it was a Friday night, me and my cousin and my brother, we were all looking forward to Blockbuster. We went to Blockbuster, got the DVD, got some milk duds or whatever candy we got, came home, threw the DVD in the DVD player, and it was scratched. <laughs> we were devastated, but we were like, all right, so whatever. But my brother, who really had been dealing with this, this physical pain all day long, his physical pain didn't just let him register the disappointment of a scratched DVD as a scratched DVD. That joint upended his entire day. He got in the car, limped his way to Blockbuster, and gave that 15-year-old cashier the worst talking to of their entire life. Now, it was a physical pain, 
that changed the way he was interacting socially, emotionally, and I would even say spiritually in that moment. And what, why is that? Because your entire life cannot be separated. What, what is impacting you physically will also impact you emotionally and spiritually. So we're starting a new series called Embodied, where we are looking about, we were looking at our bodies and what our bodies have to say about our faith, our physical reality. And in this series, we're going to be answering um, a lot of questions, uh, but why am I here? Who am I? How can I be happy? What should I do with the longings and the desires in my body? What does it mean to be a human? And our goal is to help us to live our lives in a good and beautiful and true way. Make no mistake about it, the, the goal of Jesus is to redeem your life in every single aspect together. One of the best scriptures I think that exemplifies this is in Matthew 8. Matthew 8 is a scripture where Jesus heals a leper. So Matthew 8, it says, When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, you would be short-sighted if you saw this miracle as just physical because it was not just physical. Certainly, it was a physical healing that Jesus had done in his life. He freed him of the disease that was plaguing him. But it was also spiritual. It was spiritual in the sense that he was able to experience a miracle, a touch from God. Now, if you were to read through the New Testament, you see that the miracles that Jesus performed were not just about a physical reality, but they were showing that he, in fact, was God and had the power to not just uh, heal people, but also to forgive sins. He had a touch with the, with the divine. So it was physical and it was spiritual, but it wasn't just physical and spiritual, it was also emotional. Think about it like this for a second. Why did Jesus touch him? There's a lot of miracles in the Bible, even later on in Matthew 8, where Jesus healed someone just by saying a word. But why didn't, in this scenario, why did Jesus touch him? Because he knew that this man didn't just need to be freed from his leprosy, although that was the apparent need that drove him to Jesus. He also needed to feel again. He needed to feel again that he wasn't some, somebody that was an outcast. To be a leper meant you had to walk around screaming, unclean, unclean, unclean all the time so that people would stay away from you. What would happen to you if you spent your entire existence telling people that you were unclean? Simply removing the impurities from your life or removing leprosy from your life would still leave lasting emotional damage in your life. So Jesus touched him to let him know that you are not, you are no longer unclean. You are worth being around people his restoration was not just physical, it was also emotional. And it wasn't just emotional, it was also spiritual and social, rather. Uh, so in verse 4, it says, Jesus told him, go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So why did Jesus tell him to do this? Because the priests were the people who would say that you are allowed to re-enter into society. And there was a way in Jewish culture that if you had leprosy or some other condition, the way that you can make it back into the social circle was to go to the priest, offer um, an offering, and then they would tell you that it was okay to re-enter into society. His healing was not just physical. It was spiritual. It was emotional. 
and it was social. Why is that? Because the work of Jesus in your life is not just about spiritual epiphanies. It's not just about having a good feeling when, when the worship team was really on point. It is to invade the entirety of your life with his grace. So in this series, we're looking specifically at our bodies and what um, we can learn. But today, what I really want to talk about is the purpose for which we were created. Why do you exist as a person? Like, why have you been born? What, is God, what did God have in mind when he created you? What was the goal of God to breathe life into you? None of you are accidents or mistakes. God has a specific purpose for each one of us. And my fear is that you and I live beneath and below the purpose that God has for our lives. And that will be a tragedy. Uh, there's a story about years ago in North Korea where um, in the communist regime, they were, they were rewarding some of their really high-performing generals and officials. And the way that they rewarded them was with um, uh, refrigerators. But at that time, the electrical grid in North Korea was so unstable that they couldn't use the, the refrigerators to store food. So what those civil servants did instead was they would keep the refrigerators and they would put books inside of them. Now, in the same way that most of us, most of us can't fathom using a perfectly good Frigidaire refrigerator for a bookcase, we nonetheless oftentimes have equally ridiculous ways of altering the intended purpose that God has for us in our lives, and we make it far less useful. You know, a number of years ago, I was sitting in a sermon, and I don't know if you ever heard a sermon where you feel like, like dread and regret halfway through. Not because it's bad, but because you know that as a result of having heard what you just heard, you couldn't like unsee it or unhear it. Like you knew you'd be accountable. You knew you'd be, what scripture says, like you're, you're convicted. One of the operations of what the, Holy, what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is it, the Holy Spirit convicts us, not to demean us, not to yell at us, but the Holy Spirit shows us. He, conviction is like this, this gripping in your life where you almost can't turn back. Now, here's my hope for us as we read through these scriptures today. I hope you experience a conviction when we talk about the purpose for which your body has been created. And I hope that when you leave here, you'll hear these scriptures over and over again in your head, and you'll never be able to go back to a point to where you live beneath the standard that scripture has set out for you. So why has God created you? Why has God created me? Years ago, if you would have asked me that, I would have probably told you that my purpose was to help start Renaissance, and that wasn't my purpose. My purpose, your purpose in life, is to bring God glory with your entire life. All of us can do this, and you don't need a microphone to do it. The purpose for which you have been created, the purpose for which your body exists, is to give God glory, is to, is to live your life for God. Here's the scripture. Uh, the first one is in Colossians 1 and 15. It says this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. That includes me and you. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, listen to this line. All things have been created through him and for him. We haven't just been created by God. You and I have been created for God. 
The purpose for which you exist is to live your life for him. 1 Samuel 12 and 22 says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Psalm 100 says, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Isaiah 43, 5 through 7, it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Here's what he says. Everyone who bears my name, not some people, everyone who bears my name is created for my glory. I have formed them, indeed, I have made them. This is why the scripture writers can tell us, like in 1 Corinthians 10 and 31, so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. You know, I used to think that scripture was about doing something like starting a church, to live my life for the glory of God. And then I realized it wasn't about a church or an anniversary or a service, but it was about the everyday mundane moments that I saw myself, not as someone who lives for myself, but I live my life to give God glory. You know, every single cell in our body resists against that. There's nothing inside of me that wants to live my life for God's glory. I want to live my life for Jordan. There's three things I think get in the way of me internalizing and functionally living my life in the way that Scripture calls us to live through him and for him. The first is uh, self-indulgence, where we live for pleasure and comfort. Now, I've, I've heard a lot of bad sermons where people talk about pleasure like it's a bad thing. And I think we actually have an underdeveloped theology of pleasure because I think God who has created us to experience pleasure wants us to be people to experience delight and to enjoy things. There's so many miserable Christians who literally just um, think that their entire existence is about just being mean and angry all the time. One of my friends said something that was profound in one of his books, uh, We Go On, uh, an author by the name of John Onwacheka. He actually suggested that we say grace at the end of our meals instead of the beginning of our meals. That way, after you have experienced all of the goodness that you had just eaten, you can give God thanks, recognizing that God wanted to give you delight in your experience. But still, you and I live so much for, if we're being honest with ourselves, for pleasure and for comfort. The decisions that you make, the filter for your decisions, what you will do, what you won't do, where you will go, where you won't go, what you will allow, what you won't allow, what you'll sacrifice, what you won't sacrifice, is mostly driven by comfort. To a certain extent, I don't think that we should intentionally always put ourselves in risky positions. But I think in the same way that a refrigerator is used for a bookcase, 
When we live our lives for self-indulgence and pleasure and comfort, we're living beneath the standard that God has for us. And there's something much more beautiful, something much more profound when we live our lives to say that my life is meant to be lived for God's glory. So the decisions that I will make, the things that I will do are not going to be filtered simply through whether or not I'm going to be happy in doing this, but whether or not this is going to bring God glory with my life. You know, today actually marks nine years from the first small group that we had in my apartment. And it was a celebration, not just in coming together, but it was also a birthday celebration for someone in the group. And the way that he got into the group was not because someone had, you know, let him know what was going on when they saw him at, like, Target or something like that. It was that he was living with Aswan and Heather. Uh, he had just gotten out of jail a couple months before that, and he didn't have a place to stay. And I'll never forget talking to Aswan a couple of months um, before that small group and saying, like, yo, where does so-and-so live? And he was like, oh, he lives with me. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, your apartment is not that big. I've seen your apartment. You have a brand new, like you have a small child at home. You have two teenage daughters. Where does a dude who just got out of jail, like where does he live? He lives with me. He saw him riding a train at night and decided against his own self-interest to take him in. That he would, he saw God's image on that man. And despite what he had been through, what he had done and what has been done to him, that there was something powerful and redeemable about him. And he didn't let safety and pleasure and comfort be the filter for which he made his decisions. And I've been able to see God's glory displayed, not in people in pursuit of comfort and pleasure and self-indulgence, but in people living self-sacrificially. What would it look like if you, instead of thinking that your life was meant to be lived for yourself, to indulge, to enjoy everything, that you saw yourself as an instrument of God's righteousness? You know, there's a scripture that says, don't offer your bodies as instruments of sin, but rather offer yourselves as instruments of righteousness. And I used to just think that that scripture was about personal piety, that God didn't want me to, you know, watch pornography or anything like that. These things are true. But then I started to zoom out a little bit and say, well, God, you want me to live and offer my life as an instrument of righteousness, of goodness, of grace, of hope, of forgiveness to people who want to experience and need to experience a tangible uh, a tangible touch of your love. And sometimes these people are far from you, but they're close to me. And what if I saw myself as an instrument of righteousness, that in every setting I was in, whether my workplace or wherever, I was going to dignify, uh, dignify people. I was going to give people, um, sometimes an audience, you know, the other day I was trying to put this into practice. I was at the fruit stand. And I was like buying some bananas or something. And I was just like talking to this dude, which I never do. I usually have both AirPods in. And for this day, he caught me slipping. I only had one AirPod in and he can see a gap. (laughs) And I was like, hey, how you doing? Like New Yorkers never care how you're doing. They say, hey, how you doing? All right. And he was like, honestly, not too good. And I was like, man, I got to just, all right. Let me offer, (laughs) let me offer myself as an instrument of righteousness. How? Why aren't you doing well? And he starts telling me the story about uh, a breakup he had and how really depressed he was. And we started having this long conversation on emotional health. And I didn't invite him to church or anything like that because that wasn't the goal. The goal was to say, Lord, there's a man in your image who's hurting. And I want to offer myself as an instrument of righteousness to him. And by the end of it, he, was like, he talked for like 25 minutes. I was like, all right, bro, I got to leave, man. You got to wrap this story up because I have to leave. There's only so much I'm going to give to anybody. 
Um, but in all seriousness, I've started to look at myself, my day, my goal. I think I brought God glory by listening to him. Have you ever had someone who's like listened to you, who's really like looked you in the black of your eyes and listened to you with no agenda? They just wanted to hear what was going on in your life. I felt that many a times, and to be loved is really very closely to be listened to. So I don't want us thinking that self-indulgence and pleasure and comfort is the goal of your day. Offer yourselves as an instrument of righteousness. You and I have been made not for pleasure and for comfort, but for God's glory. In other ways, I think we live for self-expression. Now, I think God has created us beautifully diverse to live and to reflect his glory in different ways. And I do think that God has created us as individuals, and we should display that, and it does bring God glory. However, as St. Augustine says it in um, one of his, his writings, he says, the essence of sin isn't that we love the wrong things, but that we love the right things in the wrong order. So the essence of sin is not that, or missing the mark, is not that we want to be individuals, but it's that we want to be individuals above all else. So we won't really engage in community meaningfully because we're all about self-expression and they didn't, you know, it was all about me, all about me, 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 me. You are okay, but God has created you to live uh, not in pursuit of self-expression. The last one I think is just very simple. It's self-determination. It's just we don't want nobody telling us what to do. We want to do what we want to do. That's it. That's true about me and that's true about you. So... Self-indulgence, self-expression, and self-determination are some of the thieves that will rob us, that will lower us living beneath the purpose that God has for us. The other piece I actually just think is, I don't think we have a vision for what our lives would look like if we actually lived our lives for God's glory. I think we just, we're so stifled in our imagination about what God could do with your life. You, your broken life, with all the flaws and faults that you have. God wants to do something in your life, if you'll allow him. Now, in order to do that, I think that first and foremost, desperately, we need community. We need other brothers and sisters who are pushing us to become the people that God is calling us to be. Because left to yourself, you will never beat yourself. Uh, years ago, I read this book called uh, The Emperor of All Maladies. It's a book written by an oncologist, and uh, he talks about why cancer, and specifically chemotherapy, is so difficult to uh, understand and to fine-tune. And I was reading this at a time, you know, my late wife was undergoing pretty extensive chemotherapy treatment. And I remember one of the quotes that he said in the book was so profound. He said, like, when you have chemotherapy for cancer, it's not like medicines that are targeting bacteria or a virus, because those are like external things to your body. So it's kind of easy to like kill a bacteria because your body knows that it's not your body. But cancer is like, that's you. And one of the difficulties he said is like, it's, trying to, it's like trying to make your left ear stay intact, but your right ear shrink. How are you going to beat you? And that's one of the complexities of oncology. The same true, truth is, is um, a principle I see in life, in our, in our pursuit to follow Jesus. Like, if you're inconsistent now, how are you going to beat you at being, in, like, how are you going to beat you? You're just going to continue to be inconsistent because you and I need something external to help us, to push us, to be what God is calling us to be. So since the beginning of Renaissance, we've had small groups, whether at my apartment, and they've changed over the years. And recently, last week, we announced a new sign-up for DNA groups. And my fear for people is, quite honestly, that people hear the word DNA group, they hear us pushing people to be in community, and they'll say, like, ah, you know, if I have time, like, I might squeeze it in, as if you by yourself 
can follow Jesus, be on mission, you can be reminded for which the purpose that God created, created you to be without other people pushing you, encouraging you, and motivating you. Those signups close in about uh, eight days, and a bunch of people have signed up already. And here's what we want in our DNA groups. We don't want good intentions. As Lester says, we want intentionality. We want you to be intentional with the way that you direct and live your life in such a way that you direct your life towards growth, towards connection, because we believe that God has something for us when we give ourselves to him in that way. But make no mistake about it, we need other people in order to live uh, away from our selfish interests. As a matter of fact, one of the main things that keeps you from signing up is your selfishness. You'd want to do like two weeks, but not eight. Because like NBA season is on that night and like you'd rather watch the game. You know what I'm saying? It's the selfishness inside of us. It's our own self-interest keeping us from community in many scenarios. And it's also our own self-interest which keeps us from engaging in it in such a way that God wants us to engage in it. So those signups have gone out in emails and in links. Please make sure you sign up for that. But the last thing I'll say is this. One of my main challenges with living my life for the glory of God is fear. I fear that God is going to use me as a pawn and that I am discardable. That if I say, God, I will live my life for you, I will live my life for you, I will live my life for you, period, that God is going to be like, oh, word, we got one. We got one, y'all. And he's going to put me through the ringer and my life is going to be miserable. And the gospel tells us a, a very different story than that. The gospel tells us that the God who calls us to give our bodies for him has already given us his body in Christ Jesus. Over the years in church history, there's a practice called communion, which Christians have done for the last 2,000 years to remind themselves of the beautiful truth that God has already given us his body. God has already laid down his life for us. And I felt that it was a fitting, an extremely fitting way that we would end our service together today to remind ourselves of God's gift to us, Jesus Christ crucified for you and for me. As one writer says in Romans, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus exemplified that he gave us his life even when we did not deserve it, especially when we didn't deserve it. And that is meant to give us hope and fuel that if you start to doubt whether or not God cares for you, God loves you, God will discard you, you need to do nothing further than look toward the cross. So communion is a practice that Christians have enjoyed and taken to remind them. And for those of you who have already placed your faith in Christ, I would invite you to please take communion uh, right now. You can uh, take one of the communion things that are being passed out right now. Um, and if you don't know where you stand with your relationship with God, please feel free to let the cup pass over you and don't, don't take it just because other people around you are, are taking it. And you're going to take it during this next song whenever you feel uh, led to take it. But I want to read the scripture over us as we get ready for worship. 1 Corinthians 11:23 says, On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I think Jesus says to do it in remembrance of him because he knows how prone and how quickly we are to forget his sacrifice for us. He knows how prone we are to forget that he has already given us his body. The scripture continues and says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and I'm, the worship team and the choir is going to come back on stage. And after you have received your elements, I want you to take a, a moment, a brief moment, and I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God would in, invade your heart with the reality of the cross of what God has already given you in Christ, and that that would give you strength to offer your body to God, to live your life for him. So you'll be able to take communion at any time during this next song. Uh, God, our Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters. Lord, you know the pieces of our lives that we would rather keep to ourselves. And Lord, I pray that we would offer all of our lives to you for your glory, because you are good and you are worth it. We ask this all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.